Welcome to a new episode of my RPG podcast. It's been a while because I've been busy with a lot of work, but it's good to be back. And with today's guest, Ross Watson, Ross has done an incredible amount of stuff in the tabletop sphere, as well as the video game sphere, from Darksiders to Star Wars, Dark Heresy, and most recently, Warhammer 40k RPG system. The audio here is a little bit reverby, and for those of you who know audio, taking out reverb from recording is kind of like uh, unmixing paint can't really do that but it's a fantastic interview nonetheless so i hope you enjoy Welcome one and all to a new episode of My RPG Podcast. Today's guest is Ross Watson. Ross, will you please introduce yourself? Hello, everybody. I am Ross Watson, and I am pleased to introduce myself here on the show. Don, thanks for having me on. Um, I thank you, Ross, for coming on. I think I think people probably uh, might know me best from uh, games that I've worked on, like Star Wars Edge of the Empire, Savage Rifts, mm-hmm. uh, Torg Eternity, and my new thing, which is Warhammer 40k Roleplay, Wrath of Glory. Yeah, I mean, you've got quite the resume, and uh, we were going to jump into all that in just one second, but you always have to start at the beginning. So, Ross, what was kind of your introduction to RPGs growing up? My dad was, actually. He had played Dungeons & Dragons in college, and he thought it was really cool. So when I was a kid and just showing an interest in uh, fantasy novels, he said, you should really get into this game, and he bought me the... Metzner Red Box Edition, I think it was 82 or 83, and I was off and running and never looked back. Um, that has been fantastic. And did you have like a, a group of friends who you were playing with every weekend? Like how frequently were you playing with that? And also, was it acceptable when you started playing at the time or was it still kind of that weird niche uh, satanic scare? As, as far as how often I played it, I played it as often as I possibly could. I probably annoyed a lot of my friends. Uh, at that age by going, can we play again? Let's play some more. <laughs> uh, it was definitely not very acceptable. Uh, we moved to the Deep South, actually, not too long after I got introduced to the game. And I ran into a number of occasions where people would say to me, you know, that's the devil's game, right? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was there was definitely a stigma attached to it. I remember uh, in high school, there was a PTA meeting that we attended which was about the occults and the dangers of which, and it included things like, you know, Ouija boards and Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> I mean, it was just laughably, laughably uh, uh, old fashioned for them to be worried about that kind of a thing. Um, yeah. And it kind of sucks that you guys had that at what, what I think would be the perfect time to get into any RPGs when you're a kid where you don't necessarily have, you know, the full-time job and you have all the ability to be like, Hey, let's all spend the night and play for, a 10 hour session or something like that. That seems like the perfect time to get into RPGs. Well, fortunately I did have a lot of friends who were really into it, especially uh, junior high and high school. just, just played, I would say at least every week, if not sometimes uh, multiple times a week. And we got it. We, we, we got involved in a bunch of different games. I've, I've talked about this a little bit before, but uh, the games I played the most in junior high and high school, of course, Dungeons and Dragons, which was in second edition at the time and uh, star Wars, the West Indies six. And, uh, 
uh, Robotech and uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and uh, Rifts, which were all the you know the Palladium games and uh, Jeff Grubb's Marvel superheroes. Those were our big, uh, just came back to and play over and over again type games. Were you typically running games, or were you a player, or a bit of both? I, most of the time, I was running the game. I was the DM. I did you know, try to get my hand in as a player as often as I could, just because I do love playing as well. But it just, I guess I just gravitated more often to the, uh, the role of the game master. So you'd say you kind of have that natural creativity in you, which I find uh, just almost every one of my guests I have who comes on has that kind of tendency, even if they're not primarily a DM or a GM, the idea of creating at least a character is so satisfying and titillating. Well, I would be mowing lawns because I, I did a lot of lawn mowing as a job when I was in uh, junior high, high school and uh, while you, you're pushing the mower, it's hot. You don't want to be thinking about the mower, right? So I would be thinking about my game and how I was going to run it and what the next plot twist was going to be and what some cool encounters would be and what some fun monsters would be to throw in there. And I mean, it just was, uh, it's fair to say that I was fairly obsessed <laughs> as a kid and I just kind of kept that obsession through the rest of my life. Well, yeah. So as, as your kind of life is going on, you go from starting with your original D&D and you mentioned, you know, Star Wars and TMMT, Robotech. What what does how far do you keep going with this as a consistent thing? Because I find most people have a little bit of a break in probably the like latter high school, early uh, university years, and then they kind of pick it back up as an adult. Did it happen with you? No, I was pretty consistent. I Pretty much everywhere I went, I found a gaming group, and we just kept playing. We we switched over to Champions, played a lot of Champions in college, um, and I just I just kind of kept going with that. I, I one of the things I brought with me to my college dorm was all of my game books, and I kept going with it. Um, I I don't think I've ever had a really long break in where I just haven't been role playing. And I know when you went with the army, you continued, and I think was that where you got into Warhammer. Yes. Uh, so the army, the guys in the army, uh, we played a ton of different games. You know, we played BattleTech, we played uh, a lot of miniature, you know, type games because because um, I, I there I knew some officers that were playing like Warhammer 40k Epic, right? And it looked cool to me. I always really liked the uh, the idea of it. I've been drawn to strategy and tactics games quite a bit, and I said, you know, it'd be fun would be to to try that out. And these guys that were living above me in in the apartment above me, actually, uh, we were playing Shadowrun so loud that they had to come find out how, what the hell we were doing. <laughs> and it turned out they were playing Warhammer upstairs. Uh, they were playing uh, 40K uh, directly above me. So we uh, we kind of did a trade. I taught them about Shadowrun. They taught me about Warhammer, and I got hooked. Man, that's, that seems like you've got like this amazing sort of uh, arc here of just consistently picking up new and fun games and expanding. So is since you are DMing a lot and doing stuff and creating your own stuff is coming naturally, are you entire time while you're running any of these many systems going like, oh, well, maybe if we did this differently or if I house ruled this or I created this mechanic, like where does the self-publishing uh, kind of seeds come from? Was it your 40K, uh, Warhammer days or what was it? Actually, Champions was the place I first started doing a lot of tinkering. Uh, Champions is very much the hero system in general. It's very much a tinkerer's game. It, it encourages you to build uh, the way that the powers work and the effects work and the, the way the gear works. It doesn't really give you like a gun. You're like you're supposed to build that gun. How many shots does it have? How do how does the uh, the effect work when you shoot someone? That kind of a thing. And 
from a toolbox perspective, you know, that just got me thinking more and more about game design and, and the uh, the way that games were handling things. A lot of a lot of experimental stuff had come out around that time as well. Like I'd, I'd gotten into Torg, although I didn't understand it at the time. And I was seeing things, uh, you know, cropping up like Ghostbusters. And there were just like a lot of, uh, of interesting uh, games that had come along with different ways to handle rules. And, and, and of course, you know, there was that period where everything was super hyper realistic. Like there were games like we, we model it accurately. And I, I found that I didn't really care for that as much as I did for uh, games that modeled it in a more fun way. And I, it just, I don't know, uh, starting with champions and, and going from there, I started to, to look at ways to, uh, it, it, there were always house rules and things like that. And uh, I know I've come across game masters have binders and binders and you're like, wow, this is like an entirely different game at this point. <laughs> and my thought was always like, let's, if, if I'm not going to create it from scratch, I would like to modify, you know, I'd like to tinker under the hood, like a car, you know, uh, without changing the chassis, or I want to just build my own car. And and you're starting to pick up all these like kind of great skills, which are all these different systems have different kind of takes on mechanics. Where some maybe desperate sort of style of with you know Warhammer might be way different than what you're running with TNMT or maybe in your Rifts game, but you're still picking up the 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 skills of what works and what doesn't work, and the, the kind of idea of the implementation behind the mechanics. So when you're creating any sort of uh, content, uh, are you a person who goes like, oh well, here's like a mechanic. Or a spark that I think will be fun, like an idea or a, a plot thread. Like, is that is that kind of where you begin? Do you start with like the the problem or maybe the spark and then go out, or do you do like, no, I have a giant idea. I'm just going to fill it in top to bottom. Well, I mean, that's an interesting question. I've uh, my friend Sean Fan, you know, is a guy who's worked on a lot of different game projects. He's he's the type who will take an existing work, like an, he will take an existing car and he'll add a, a supercharger to it. And the design of that supercharger is what he enjoys. Um, and I have also found a, a lot of enjoyment in like taking something and tinkering with it under the hood, like we were talking about. Um, but I've, I've started to study more and more like, you know, why, why is that important? There's, there's the study of games, you know, ludology. And I was, uh, I was at Essen, uh, last year actually talking about this with some people that there's a sociological aspect to it too. Like the, the fun, you know, factor, if you will, of a game is, is kind of this ephemeral thing that isn't necessarily mathematically expressed, but at the same time, game design does have a lot of different disciplines in it, like math, like sociology, like, uh, you know, the understanding of the underlying principles of uh, uh, whether a game is cooperative or competitive. You know, there's just a lot of, of stuff going on that it, it's like it's like the difference between a car mechanic and a car engineer. I started to really want to be like, I want to I want to actually like be the engineer now. And. Yeah, for me, I think. There's a lot of game designers who will tell you like they come from a certain uh, space or headspace when they're they're working on things. For me, that headspace is more or less. Um, I would say I lean very highly towards intuition. I lean towards how something feels as opposed to how something uh, mechanically or mathematically you know works out. Uh, I usually I, I like to say you know this is this is definitely an, a, a far more. Um, inflammatory statement, I think, than uh, I probably mean it to sound. But I, I tend to worship at the altar of fun more than I do at the altar of balance or the altar of mechanical perfection. Uh, I, I want a game that's fun more than uh, one that is uh, fine-tuned uh, mathematically, so to speak. And, I and think that's, that's, and that's a common of... thread. That's actually a common thread I've heard in all of the episodes I've done 
dust and beyond like i constantly have the the, the question that comes up is are, are do you like how much do you adhere to rules or settings or balance versus the rule of cool and i think there's I think there's it's funny that there is a little bit of a divide now between people who've gotten into the games recently and people who are kind of more old school. Not to say that you can't have somebody who's old school and is like, ah, oh, fuck the rules. We can have a good time. Or you can't have somebody who's new school who's like, no, we got to you know play by what the as written is. But that's interesting that you mentioned that because that's the constant debate happening. Well, this comes up, you know, uh, my Warhammer background actually brings up a lot of this, too, because the, the idea of rules is written. Uh, versus rules as attended, you know, the, that's that's been an ongoing debate for many decades now at this point when it comes to uh, miniature games, especially or competitive uh, competitive games. Um, I think the, the magic players probably have something very similar to that as well. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's interesting because you've also worked in the video game realm. And what I think is interesting about the video game realm is ultimately when we're doing an RPG, um, we're even if we have a, a, a miniature or uh, some sort of representation on the board, there's still a lot of that stuff that's done in our minds and our heads or our visualizations of what's going on or, or kind of resolving concepts. Whereas in the video game space, it's interesting because you are actually limited by the software compatibilities and you literally see how that works. And then you can sort of science out what I'm allowed and not allowed to do depending on your inputs. So does that kind of change the way you think about creating a story or creating something to be like, well, if I can't literally do that or, or show that on the screen, then maybe I shouldn't write that or create that. Well, a video game offers a lot of different ways to get uh, a, a lot of different ways to alter the experience of play. Okay. Uh, a role-playing game, for example, we have to work almost entirely in texts. We can, we can do some showing of, of diagrams. We can do some, uh, you know, creative layout work. We can do some really interesting artwork to show you kind of what we're talking about. Um, but for the most part, the way we communicate to you is, is through text, through explanation, through example. In a video game, you can, you can actually, uh, there's, there's been a lot of studies of this people that are far more knowledgeable than I. So forgive me while I fumble through this description but there's uh the idea of the uh emergent play and experiential uh awareness and things like that just the the idea that the game can sort of teach you what it's about through the actions that you take or your avatar takes through the uh through the ambient uh environment and sound and and, and visuals there's just so much more going on uh in a video game as to as to how i can tell you what it's doing of course it's just not as interactive like that's the uh, the advantage that the playing game has is it is widely open-ended is widely interactive it is exactly uh it will modify itself based on what you do the advantage of a video game of course is that it can also automate a lot of complex systems you could have a, a far more uh complex mathematical stuff going on underneath the hood because computer kind of take care of all that for you now sometimes that can add to the experience sometimes it takes away from it and uh you know I, my role in video games was primarily uh, towards the narrative end. I was doing mostly the, the writing of the scripts. I was writing uh, quests. I was writing uh, dialogues and, and, and item descriptions and things of that nature. So uh, when it comes to game design, I really, uh, it's, it's more of what I've studied than more of what I've actually done. Cause again, it was just hmm. mostly I was on the writing end. Uh, but I think there's a lot still to be said about how um, video games can communicate the, their, their, their aspects of the design. Um, and, and that way is only going to grow. But they probably, I mean, until we get that full VR chip and play, we can just put in our head and, you know, be an instantaneous communication with anyone across the world. Role-playing games are going to be that primary social, like this is going to be the, the, the most social, the most interactive way 
to you know sort of escape into a game that exists. And I, I'm I'm on the actually other side of the fence about the VR that I never want to get to the full VR jack in plug in matrix uh, situation <laughs> because uh, I, I think something about a physical relationship with somebody uh, uh, physically coming to a table or like even the ritual of like having people seated around you who you trust or want to spend you know hours with there's something I think so innate to the human experience that losing that is kind of losing a part of humanity that's another long diatribe later but what i'm really interested in is actually uh augmented reality because one of the things i see all the time i actually had no friends who work in the larp community who use augmented reality and apps and they're trying to start stuff is i really love to see that implemented more in rpgs as well because while we do still live in a lot of uh the theater of the mind or we can have that uh unlimited to um, um, visuals because it's you know mentally visual. It's you're as good as you can describe or say something about the aesthetic of maybe if I cast a fireball or fire a gun at a thing, seeing that represented on my miniature, that's one uh, uh, step up in how much of a release or how much immersion I can get. So I'm I'm super excited in that actually when it comes to the uh, virtual space. Yeah, I, and I agree that there's a lot of potential there that has yet to be fully tapped. So, yeah, that we, I can see why cyberpunk stuff is of interest to you because we could probably have a long conversation about, you know, uh, the the definition of you know being physically in the room if if sensor if if our senses actually tell us it is indistinguishable from actually being there. But let's not get sidetracked. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's probably a larger conversation on a different podcast about uh, what is what is being human and our virtual avatars and humanity and things like that. But kind yes. of tying us back to um, RPGs and uh, especially you and your, and your resume, I mean, you've got so many things here from the gaming sphere, the video game sphere, even your own works of fiction. I mean, is, is it safe to say you're a, a, a storyteller through and through, like – I know there's mechanics involved in game design. I know there's mechanics involved in any sort of uh, structure, uh, working for a company or creating a product. But it seems like ultimately at the end of the day, you want to tell a story. Is that true? Well, I, you know, <laughs> this, uh, this, you know, goes back to like that whole idea of like the game as experience. Like you could make the argument that some games are just a story. Some, some experiences are just a story. Some are larger and more important than that. I mean, you know, you take a game like Minecraft, there really is no story there. The story is just you building, you know, it's, it's experiential. Like you are making the things and that's what that game is all about. Um, I, I definitely think of myself first and foremost as a storyteller, but I do also feel like a, a large part of my identity is a game designer. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't say that sometimes you can design a game that doesn't necessarily have to do with telling stories. Um, or at least that's not the, you know it, it's a it's a different definition of that than other people might assume. I mean, so I, I'm somebody who comes from a strong like I have to admit my bias. I, I come from a strong storytelling aspect. So even when I play a game like I don't know if you've ever heard Rocket League, all right? Oh it's yeah, RC, yeah, of course. Oh, okay. So RC Car Soccer, right? Is basically what right. Rocket League is. Um, yeah, I'm I'm way more excited and, and willing to tell my friends about this amazing back and forth battle and you pull it from behind or you win at the last second or you nail that last goal that's still 
uh, my experience is manipulating a car or a joystick or whatever. But it's the story of the you know the rise and the fall, the stealing uh, success from the jaws of defeat sort of scenario. So I've always viewed even inside of the experience, like something like Minecraft, where you're saying that's very there's no story experience there. But the story you end up telling your friend is like, oh man, I was building this amazing uh, cat. <laughs> I was building this giant uh, hundreds you know block cat, and all of a sudden I turn around and there's a whole bunch of uh, freakers and creepers, and I'm like, oh god, I'm gonna die, and that to bat them off and shoot all of them in the head like Legolas. Like there's an innate storytelling thing that happens when you relate the experience. Uh, then just let me tell you about the mechanics or the system because all okay. I, I, I can. So, so again, this is not this is just me uh, with my own personal opinion here. I think it's interesting because I think that's still storytelling in and of itself. I've had great experiences like being into a very fast car or roller coaster, but it's the story of that ups and downs and the way it made me feel and how I almost wanted to throw up. <laughs> okay, you know, I you you have a a good point there that you know that the the story is more than the the story is is a is a personal experiential thing as well as a uh you know what's what's presented to you. So yeah, absolutely, I agree with you on that. So what's your favorite thing then? Okay, since 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 we're I know you've done role playing, I know you've done fiction, I know a, a tabletop, and then video game, and then fiction, and I know you're working on a whole bunch of stuff, and we're gonna get into the new forty k stuff too. But it, can I can I make you choose one of your favorite children? What, what, what's kind of your preference? <laughs> Is it oh possible? Uh, you I know, won't tell the other kids. I won't tell the other sure. kids. <laughs> well, I, uh, you know, it's it's a thing that kind of crosses over a lot of things. We talk about you know telling stories. So I I love telling stories. It's just a different you know different ways of getting that across. And right now like at this specific mo moment in time uh my favorite thing is probably uh doing that through uh the lens of something like fiction you know i i like the idea of uh studying the craft of writing and and, and finding ways to get you know get get those ideas across uh through character and conflict and and world building and stuff like that now again a lot of that is crossing over to other uh disciplines but yeah and I mean, would you who who would you say are your biggest fiction kind of uh, role models or inspirations? Oh, okay, uh, that's an interesting point. I read a ton of books by a lot of different people, but I, I have some uh, some favorites. Uh, I really love Brandon Sanderson and Brian McClellan. Uh, I really love Scott Sigler and Scott Finch. Uh, those guys are both really 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 talented dudes. Um, Gosh, uh, yeah, uh, there's there's just a, a lot of really oh uh, Drew Hayes. I would actually really really mention Drew Hayes as a as a big inf influence on me. His writing is is astoundingly good. It never fails to inspire me. It's a good set of influences you got there. So I I can I can kind of piece the things together now. I'm like okay, I, I see where this is all coming. I was going. I was going. <laughs> well, a lot of those guys uh, did game writing. Uh, Scott Lynch and Scott Sigler both wrote for role-playing games, for example. And, and that's what I think is so interesting is, is I've seen this kind of transition in, in some figures to writing uh, fiction, nonfiction, or just, you know, non-tabletop uh, RPG stuff. And there's a part of me that likes to make the old joke of like he just got tired of the players not doing what he wanted to do. So now he gets – so now he can control all, all, all the instruments and actually make it play out the way he wants because we all have had that amazing – syndrome, yeah. Yeah, you know, you all have that amazing – like oh, for me, it's it's either that great like story point or character or sometimes of like, oh, man, if you went left, I was so ready to do this that I, I sometimes I, – I will jokingly after a TPK, I'll do the postmortem. 
In which case, I'll, I get to spew out all of my, like, guys, there's all these amazing arcs and these things, like, things I wanted to do. And if you went right instead of left, you were going to do this and I was going to kill you and do this. And it, 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 I, I, I always I always felt like that was probably more for me than for them. I think that was just a part of me being like, I waited a year and a half. Damn it. I need to get this off my chest. You know, that, that may in fact be true. You know, I couldn't say for, for those guys, but, uh, you know, definitely a lot of inspiration for the things that I would love to write comes from, you know, games or ideas that I've had while, while doing games. So, Have you ever ported over characters or ideas from oh, uh, games and systems? Oh, all right. Yeah, actually, the uh, there's a novella on Amazon right now called uh, Pirate's Oath, which is based on my setting of Accursed for Savage Worlds. And the uh, the main character and the, and the, the things that, that he does, a lot of that is based on like the mechanics and the the setting that we we wrote for that. It's brilliant. See, like I, ultimately, I, I don't, I, I'm never going to call myself a writer or a story. Uh, so I, I call myself a storyteller. I'm never going to call myself a writer though, because uh, I, I found uh, as much as I enjoy the world building aspect of it, I have such more reverence for the people who actually write and create the structure to it because i think there's a, a distinct difference between us who run our own homebrew campaigns create our own homebrew rules and characters which is fine and dandy but ultimately there are they're in this world with the created sort of um I, I'm, I'm trying to pen the term here i'm trying to figure it out but like intentional status citizen because um I think when you're writing uh, any sort of story, and you can tell me if I'm wrong here, I, you introduce a character with a, a way to have them supplement the plot, right? You, there's an intent that they're here for. There's an ultimate goal that they're going to push the reader towards, either suppl supplying some information or a great revelation or something to be a threat. Whereas a lot of uh, the stuff we do with DMs and GMs and stuff is sometimes just BS or be like, ah, oh, fuck, well, something's got to be there. So I'm just going to throw this together without any kind of idea to the general arc or flow of the story. In which case, I don't think you can truly be a writer in that regard. You're not a, a writer. You're more of just a amazing improviser. Well, I think that the discipline of DMing really has a lot of different aspects to it. Improvisation is a big deal, of course, but... Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot going on there and I would definitely never say that someone who's a, a really good DM doesn't know how to tell a good story. So oh, I'm not, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying is like, I, I'm very pointed for myself to be like, I'm not a writer. I may have, you know, been creating a world for years on end with my, my friends and like, yeah, I could technically put this together, I think, and maybe make a story of it about these factions and religions and idols and you know, civilizations. But at the same time, like, it's still in the uh, it's still under the the box of like these are things created because we were playing a game and you needed oh well there needs to be a guild that can give you a task or a quest or there needs to be this that can give you that whereas like I did not create these things to be like there's an overarching story that needs to be told oh. and each of these are, like that that's the point I was trying to make okay sorry yeah well the craft the craft of telling a story though uh, is independent from the idea that you you put together for it okay. Uh, I believe this. I believe this to be true. I, I think you can take any idea, and if you have a good, if you're a good storyteller, if you have the craft down, you can make a great story out of it. Um, the pieces and parts that come together, you know, it's cool that they're there, but it, it can, inspiration can literally come from anywhere. Um, uh, Ray Bradbury was often saying, you know, he just would look around his office, and that's where he would get ideas uh, for a lot of his stories. And, and famously, there's the bet that was made uh, with uh, Jim Butcher 
regarding whether he could turn a, a crazy idea into a really good book series. And he did, which is the Codex Alera uh, series. And the, the idea that was handed him was Pokemon plus Lost Roman Legion. And he made that awesome. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's. Yeah, the 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 locations and the inspiration may come from something that was put together for an entirely different purpose, but that doesn't mean you can't say, okay, now I can find a way to put that into a great story. Um, I actually think that's an interesting challenge. I think uh, that kind of makes me look at telling stories a slightly different way now, as I might look at you know some of the the game events and say, okay, well that's cool and it happened, but what if I was telling the the viewpoint of you know the guy selling cabbages on the corner while this was going on? That might be that might be interesting. You know? Yeah, that actually leads me into another thing I was going to ask. You've worked on other people's properties, and including making your own property. I've got to ask you though, when you're working on somebody else's property or IP, is it a little bit of a challenge to be like, well, there's an established lore world or system, and there's a Bible that I need to, you know, uh, attain, uh, not attain, sorry, abide by, uh, oh, because as much, yeah, yeah. So I, I was going to ask. So like, I, I've talked to comic book writers who've said that, you know, some of them are like, well, hey, if I'm playing in the Marvel wheelhouse or the DC wheelhouse. There's only so much you can do to Batman or Superman or, you know, Wonder Woman, whatever. I, whereas other people will say, I love that challenge because this is, I have now parameters. So how much can I flex inside of these parameters? I have a, a, a structure, which some people like that structure because it points them in a direction. Yeah, I think there's, you know, it's, there's definitely that appeal um, on both sides. There's the there's the appeal of working with the established IP. And I've been really lucky. I've been very fortunate to work on things like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and uh, Warhammer 40K and, and refs and things like that. So yeah, I've, I've got a lot of experience working within a particular world, a particular IP and, and fitting into, you know, that box. And sometimes, you know, the challenge is being able to create something uh, new and interesting within a, a box that's been very, you know, well well-traveled before and other times like you say it's the the challenge is sort of like well how can i uh use this structure to my advantage and and build something you know that uh kind of go deeper or 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 pull back a little to see something that hasn't been seen before in this area so it is definitely uh it's definitely a different approach when you have to work with an ip uh established IP and, and I think that it changes your priorities too because when you're working with an IP, like the, the number one goal for me has always been to make it feel like the thing that I'm working on. Like if I'm working on Star Wars, it needs to feel like Star Wars. If I'm working on Lord of the Rings, it needs to feel like Lord of the Rings. And when I'm working on 40K, it has to feel like 40K. That's the that becomes your top priority, and it does change the way that you approach something creatively. True, and I think uh, not 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 to say like obviously creating your own thing is super rewarding because it's your own thing. But I, I you know, I'm a, as a comic book guy, like Ed Brute Baker's take on Captain America or Frank Miller's run with Batman, like right. has become so definitive to what that character is. Like it doesn't undo the previous uh, renditions of the character, but what they did with it when they worked inside those parameters, they still created something that we know now for the rest of all time. We know that's a ode to the way Frank Miller introduced these concepts or an ode to Brew Baker or Neil Gaiman or whoever the writer was underneath yeah. that IP. So, yeah, Paul, so, so that's Paul Dini and the, the yeah, animated of Batman, of course, you know, being a huge, just uh, extremely influential and consistently uh, put together look at, you know, certain characters and things, for example. Yeah, I totally get that. We This is something we've, we've talked a lot about, obviously. Uh, yeah, I think... I think that if if you if you're able to make your mark on an established IP like Frank Miller or uh, uh, 
Brebaker, then you know that is that is a great accomplishment. It, it is it is very meaningful. Um, it, like I said, you know, we're, we're talking about the challenge of working in an IP. I think there's an achievement that can be made there, whereas you can say, well, anybody can make their own guy, right? Um, and it's just about the, it's just about the craft. Like, how well do you tell that story? That's great, uh, but there's kind of an extra hurdle if you're trying to tell uh, a story with the the established IP as, as opposed to doing something on your own, uh, because it is a little it's slightly harder. But you do also have the support of you know, not only the built-in fan base, but uh, a built-in continuity history. You don't have to establish an origin story, for example. So I don't know. It's like there's a, it's a six one half dozen the other kind of situation there. Yeah, and I always thought it, it's it's it while nothing nothing close to what you do. I always like the idea of whenever I'm playing a, a role-playing game and somebody's trying to explain a concept to me, if they go. You know, like how with like uh, Jedi, this, or do you know how with like, you know, this ninja, like, and, and like, yes, I completely get it because it's that understood sort of contract that we have yeah. between each other. Like, that's the mechanic, that's the idea, that's the MO, the mythos, the pathos. And you express a concept. It's iconography, it's, you know, modern day mythology. You express this concept across uh, each of our individual experiences just by referencing that character. And yeah. I think that. That's uh, kind of sounds like what you're also pulling from if you're working with somebody else's IP. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, uh, I I love the way you just said that because it, it's it is sometimes a lot easier to get someone to understand what you're talking about by uh, using a shortcut to uh, another IP or an or an existing story or an existing character. Um, like I could tell you, uh, for example, that the accursed setting is basically Hellboy meets Solomon Kane, right? And yes, yeah, I can get that now. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that instantly conjures yeah, in your yeah. head, like kind of what, what it's about. And, uh, you know, I could do the same thing for, for a number of different settings. And, and that sometimes that's a really great way to get something across. Um, I have found that other times it can be a little challenging to try to explain. Like, for example, Drew Hayes, this guy I was talking about earlier, this author, he wrote a series of books that are just like fantastic. And the only way that I can really tell you what they're about is going to also uh, – Maybe not make you want to read them, which is weird, but it's basically like Hogwarts, but for superheroes. And I know, right? Like I, that, that is not at all like what the book is about, but at the same time, it's the easiest way for me to tell you without going to great deal of depth as to what those, those books are about. That's his, uh, super powers books, just FYI. So sometimes, yeah, it's a great tool to handy. It's a handy thing to be able to say, yes, it's like, it's like the Jedi, except the force is, you know, alive or sentient, I should say. Um, you know, for example, if you were if you're going to try to get to get across the idea of, of, of something to someone, that would be a, a, a great way to do it is to, to you know give them a touchstone of something that they've already built on. And IPs are exactly that. Um, although, yeah, again, like if, if you wanted to communicate something like the force, but alive, uh, you'd have to you, there's a lot of hoops you'd have to jump through to make that work in Star Wars because they're, you know, very established ways of how the force works and things like that. Uh, True. Anyway, True. yeah, but the, the no. great conversation, dude. You you definitely are, are hitting a lot of interesting uh, ways about you know uh, communicating the, the the essence of of a story or a conflict or a setting, which are all important things to me. Well, I, I will take that as a great compliment because you're an accomplished guy, so that means a lot to me. Um, I, I have to thank working in the accounting world and working at a place where I can put in earbuds, so I get to listen to a <laughs> lot of like, I literally like I was a. Uh, I was an escapist guy uh, from way early on, uh, escapist website, and, and you know all those guys like extra credits, and I've I, I, I've always been interested in, in this type of stuff because uh, 
I think it informs me as a human being, not only just as like a GM of uh, some dudes who come over on Mondays and hang out with me. So uh, I appreciate that. But I also wanted to say one thing because because I always get so jazzed whenever hearing people talk about that. Does the 14 year old you ever take a step back and go, dude, I've worked for fucking Star Wars. Like, <laughs> I know, I've worked yeah. with these amazing like, what is my life? <laughs> yeah my 12 year old self is a very happy very happy kid uh that's true and and it is very refreshing to sometimes take a step back from the minutiae and the uh the drudgery sometimes of, of what you have to do to get certain things done and and recapture that sense of wonder um actually that's the idea of a sense of wonder is and communicating that in, in a role-playing game is has become something of uh of, of discussion of late because, um, you know, our pop culture is definitely filled with, uh, fantasy and sci-fi and that's good. That's like, that's a really great thing. Um, but at the same time it does change. Uh, I don't know if you, you, you know, if you put, put your mind back into the sixties, right. You know, you got, uh, you know, all these, these major cultural shifts going on and Lord of the Rings comes out and it is just blowing people's minds. They're like, wow, this is an amazing fantasy world. And that, that love of, Tolkien's creation leads directly to things like Dungeons and Dragons. And then that too is a mind blowing thing because people are suddenly like, okay, now I can, you know, I, I can put myself and immerse myself in this, this fantastical thing that I really love. But now we're in a situation like currently in the, uh, you know, 20, 2018, 2019 era, uh, we are in a place where if you want to immerse yourself in something like Fala, you can for hours, right? You just do it. Yeah, you can uh, segment you wanna, and almost live in that like right selective reality sort of you know what I mean? Yeah, so the escapism offered by a role playing game is uh, not as uh, fundamentally. Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm losing track of the way I'm trying to say this, but well, well, it's, well, it's well, what I'm picking up. Yeah, sorry. yeah. Well, what I'm picking up is you can't shock as much anymore or you can't like so you lose novelty you lose the ability to be like i'm thirsting for the next star wars thing because recently there's one been one every year so you've never <laughs> had that right. you know you've never had that build that uh that then that a big release of like oh my god it's going to come here it is i was just hit with that that uh, that's everything i ever wanted right when it becomes predictable and, and actually it's it's this is funny how like aspects of my life are, are coming back later in my life um when i was writing an album i uh self-produced and wrote two al albums with uh, my band warrior when i was in high school uh, a progressive heavy metal band think uh rush and uh genesis meets metallica and you've got the idea right that's my that's my using ips to with, with uh, fewer understand. fewer lawsuits i am assuming Absolutely. Way fewer lawsuits. <laughs> That's why we're instrumental, because you can't sue us, at least lyrically and vocally. Um, no, but but the, but but the, but the thing we were always having an argument over was whenever you'd make something that was reminiscent of or sounded like I like I was we were always talking to each other about like, well, immediately right there, we're showing like, OK, we're fanboys of this band we're fanboys of that band this is that type of idea this is that type of thing will never sound original that was a that was a, a dreaded summer of ours right before we went to recording we were listening to all their stuff and i'm like i can pick out all of our influences this is horrible we're just you know pretty much you know we're, we're just pretty much kids who are spoofing you know our favorite artists and it, it came down to a, a thing my, my friend matt told me which is like basically like there's no such thing as a, as a new recipe 
It's like, does not matter. Like nobody creates a new ingredient or a new fruit. It's just the way you mix it. Your chicken parm might be, you know, different than my chicken parm or whatever. Like I forget which mac and cheese or something that I used was the example, but you're right. I, I cannot, I cannot in an age like today really shock you unless I go really, really far to the most obscure thing and maybe pull influences from that. But I think my mix of the same influences we have, the same, um, you know, either modern mythology or symbolism can be done in such a way that it feels like a new flavor. Well, yeah, I've got a, a gaming group that I run D&D for here in town, and uh, some of them are players I haven't done a lot of gaming before. They're kind of new. And for me, I've... I really want to make this like a special game. I want their sessions to be something that they, you know, remember going, wow, that was really cool and interesting. That's, that's kind of my goal as a game master. And I found that, uh, it's definitely a challenge for me now. And maybe it's just, you know, I'm not as good as I think I am, or I am having, uh, uh, you know, more distractions this time or not. I don't know. But, uh, I find that for me, one of the challenges is finding a way to communicate that sense of awe and wonder in a fantasy setting, uh, just because I feel like, you know, you, you've got a point. There is no such thing as a good recipe, as a, as a new recipe. They're, they're all, they've all been told before. But I think awareness of it is just now uh, greater than it has been in a long time. And that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But it does make it, I think, sometimes more challenging to get people to, to go, wow, around the table. You know, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, and I think that's going to be uh, kind of a uh, a bane of of any sort of content creator moving forward is the idea we live in the world where anything can be f uh, found and consumed within a matter of moments thanks to you know digital um, digital uh, media and interfacing in the internet and stuff like that um, but I think the one thing me personally I, I, I find at the very end of it all is the individual's experience the fact that they can create or be part of something I, I hope that never goes away the same way in like when you go to a concert regardless of how high definition somebody's phone is just that atmosphere and that energy of being around people. I think that's the thing that will survive. And regardless of whether it's the first or 12th time, I think that's more important. I, that's what I, that's what I hope. Otherwise we're all doomed. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, I was saying, you know, the, the, yeah, <laughs> whoever inherits the earth, you know, maybe they will do it better. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. But uh, cool. Yeah, that's all really good information and good good topics to talk about when it comes to you know gaming and the experience of it. And, and this has been a really fascinating conversation about those topics. Hey, I appreciate it, man. So let's talk about what we're doing recently and what you've been up to. You, I know you're running out all of the conventions and doing all the stuff, uh, the Gen Cons and whatnot. But let's talk about how the new 40K uh, Warhammer, sorry, the Warhammer 40K, let me use a proper English here. Uh, the new Warhammer 40k. Uh, uh, would your game? You were, you were the lead game designer on this, right? Correct. It's called Wrath and Glory. It is the new version of Warhammer 40k roleplay. Warhammer 40k roleplay started back in 2008 with uh, Dark Heresy, Rogue, uh, Rogue Trader, Death Watch, etc. And uh, then it's it's it is new form is now with Ulysses North America, and they picked up the license in 2017. And I've been working on it since then with the creation of this this new game. And Wrath and Glory is a uh, dice pool game. We use a lot of D6 dice pools, kind of inspired by a lot of uh, Star Wars stuff back in the day. Um, I feel like it's definitely a more uh, simpler, easy to understand system, and it runs faster than uh, some of the earlier iterations of uh, Warhammer 40k roleplay. But, uh, you know, that's not to say that they were bad. It's just, you know, this is uh, the iterations and the, the advancements in, in uh, mechanics that have come along have kind of led us towards 
uh, prioritizing, you know, things that run quickly and are easy to learn and uh, don't require a lot of looking things up in the book. So that was always our goal with Wrath and Glory. But it also we have a, a, a different universe really to take part in because uh, Warhammer 40K as a setting has changed slightly recently with the introduction of this idea called the Dark Imperium, basically a warp storm to split the galaxy in half. And one side is cut off from all of the vast resources of the Imperium of Man. And that means those are entire systems that are isolated and under threat from all kinds of attacks. And they require uh, different uh, groups of heroes than before. There's there's times when you can have desperate allies banding together to sort of uh, troubleshoot uh dangerous problems or to uh, run off uh, an, an incoming threat that you wouldn't ordinarily see in Warhammer 40k. It, it's basically, it's given us a, a license to do a pretty broad uh, look at the setting and, and allow people to play a lot of different types of characters they haven't been able to play before. Uh, Orcs and Eldar are both things you could play in Wrath and Glory, and we're just you know adding more and more as we go. Uh, we had our big launch uh, this year at Gen Con in uh, the book's uh, we had a big pre-order, I think, right before, and the books are going to be shipping out to the backers of that. Um, I believe they're on their way any day now. Don't don't ask me for specifics. I'm not in charge of the the shipping of all that. But right on the heels of that, we're working on the uh, the first expansion, which is going to be about the Imperium Nihilus or the Dark Imperium, and it's going to have a lot of you know new uh, character options for Imperial characters, and we have some new character creation. Uh, uh, things that'll add a lot of flavor. We have some uh, uh, great um, resources for the game master for additional tools and rules and things of that nature. And we dive deep into our own personal setting, which is this uh, system of worlds called the Gilead system. That is uh, where we have set the majority of our, our adventures and, and uh, goings on so far. It's actually uh, a creation of Aaron Dembski Bowden, who is a really uh, well-known Black Library author for a lot of 40K fans, and he was just super excited to kind of uh, build this setting for us. So it's it's really cool. I, I, if if there's your your friends that are Warhammer 40K fans are just going to love it. I'm, I'm almost certain. And when we get this, uh, the Imperium Isles campaign book is going to have a ton of uh, material on this setting. I think people are going to really dig it. And you mentioned kind of um, less having to look up rules and things like that. Warhammer uh, does have this kind of perspective uh, or perception of being something that's a lot more strict and rigid and very precise. And was that a decision that was made based off of feedback or was that just something that came from the top of like, we want this uh, to run faster? It was, it was my prerogative. I was uh, a guy who was deeply involved in a lot of the uh, Warhammer 40k roleplay from the Fantasy Flight Games days, which that game was um, very crunchy. It was very uh, complex in certain ways. Mm -hmm. it, it used a percentile system, and there's nothing wrong with that. It was a great system. It, it, it worked fine for what it needed to do. But it, we did struggle in a lot of ways to simplify. We struggled in a lot of ways to make the scale work sometimes with the, the difference between, say, a, an Imperial Guardsman's rifle versus a, a Titan, which is this, you know, 100-meter tall you know, war machine. So it was, it was, it had its, 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 its uh, limitations. So when we were working on Wrath and Glory, my, one of my goals was to say, uh, you know, let's find a way to make this system run smoother, run more fa uh, with less uh, front loaded um, system mastery required, you know, make it easier for new players to learn. And also, uh, just cut down on looking things up in the book. Flipping back and forth in, in the books was was one of the weaknesses of the uh, the percentile system. And so we've 
put a lot of that information on on card decks uh, if you want. You can just have the card deck um, you know handy next to you. We've tried to put as much of the uh, important stuff on the character sheet as possible. You typically once you get you know once you get the rules down and you you know if you want to grab a few of those card sets, you probably won't have to look things up in the book too often at all. Um, I think a lot of people who play Dungeon Dragons Fifth Edition. Uh, know exactly what I'm talking about. That's kind of the goal. That's that was one of the the goalposts I had in mind was to do something you know fairly close to the way that they've simplified and uh, smoothed out their system to where it's easier to understand and and run than ever before. Yeah, I was going to say I, I noticed that theme has actually happened with the second edition Pathfinder D and D and a couple of other systems now who are finding themselves uh, kind of with this RPG renaissance that's been happening recently, um, thanks to of course the internet and then certain like shows, Critical Role's a big one, <laughs> yeah, uh, this yeah. tabletop show by Will Wheaton, like creating a resurgence in, in board games. Uh, there's been kind of a a, a new uh, group, a new um, demographics coming into the game, so I think. It seems like a lot of publishers and game designers have recognized that, so they've gone back and decided to make this more accessible than ever before, it seems. Is well, that I, something that you guys also thought of as well when uh, you're doing this, that like, there, there's all this new media and all this streaming and things like that? Did ever streaming or stuff like that come into mind? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this, that's the world we live in right now. Critical Role is, is huge. The amount of people that watch the show every time it's on is amazing. My roommate is their biggest fan ever. For example, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a thing. And and when we were creating Wrath and Glory, we also wanted to reach out a hand to the miniature gamers. So uh, you know, using D6 dice pools in the way that we constructed the way that the uh, successes are are counted, you you gain an icon on a four plus basically on a D6. Um, that was an easy way to sort of reach out to people who may have never tried a role playing game before, but are big fans of 40k, and say, hey, Wrath and Glory is the game for you. We even have a starter set specifically to bring in new players. So yeah, our, our definitely uh, accessibility was one of the, the big things in our mind when we were creating this game. I think there's nothing wrong with a good complex game. I mean, I know a lot of people love Pathfinder. I, I've played a ton of Pathfinder, uh, D&D 3rd Edition. It's got, uh, it's got a certain appeal to it. System Mastery, uh, if you ask any uh, Magic card player, System Mastery is definitely you know a part of the game for uh, that kind of experience. But I think what we were aiming for was just something slightly different and, and getting getting into a, a game where the system mastery didn't come so much from flipping open the book and, and looking at all that stuff, but more just having that information in front of you on your character sheet or on a card and uh, making it easier to uh, you know get things done in the game. You know, Let the rules get out of the way and let the story happen. And each just as their own kind of valid place. I, I kind of wanted to say one of the things I... Uh, prefer obviously as I I'm a, I'm a storyteller. Uh, I'm not totally about like rule cool over system, but I I think each of them kind of has their own merits because I've also have many a friend who are are proud of their ability to understand a complex game or a system or create a really optimized build or something like that. And it's you know fortunately it's not a best or worst situation. It's it's the difference between Paul McCartney and Eddie Van Halen, right? If anybody here's a music fan, if you don't get that reference, uh, Paul McCartney, Beatles, uh, not the greatest guitarist in the world by any merit, but amazing songwriter, very accessible. Eddie Van Halen, Van Halen, amazing virtuosic, <laughs> virtuosic yeah. guitar player who's acclaimed by a lot of musicians as well. Also very famous in and of its own right, right? So each can have their own uh, fans. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, you know, I like Dragon Force for crying out loud, you know, I mean, talk about some guitar riffs. <laughs> oh, we, oh my, yes. So there's always seems to be a link between RPGs and guys who like rock and heavy metal. And I talked <laughs> about this 
I, I talked about this Aiden Aiden Chan who does uh who does uh, RPG music and did some stuff for Critical Role. I've talked to this with I think uh, one of the other, I think one of the other uh, Black Dragon or Red Dragon gaming. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm missing his name off the top of my head. But when you find out a guy is into RPGs and fantasy worlds, then you find out that they were into Metallica or into like heavy metal or power metal. I'm like, yeah, of course, it all makes sense, right? We all love that imagery and the power that comes with it. So it, well, the did you covers. get into? <laughs> the album covers. Let's 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 not lie to ourselves, guys. I'm pretty sure all these '80s, '90s, and 2000s metal bands literally looked at like the red box and looked at the old covers and they're like, "All right, so I want that, but I want my guitar to be the sword fighting the dragon." And that's how you get an Ingvae Malmsteen album cover. Right? So for uh, something I, I wanted to know personally, and I'm pretty sure a lot of my listeners want to know now, and I'm not going to assume whatever your financial situation is, whether you're well off or, or uh, hand, eating hand to fist here, but it seems like it. It seems like right now a lot of people are trying to uh, pursue things that maybe weren't thought as traditional careers. You know, lawyer, doctor, whatever, accounting. Maybe twenty, thirty, forty years ago. Do you think the space right now for self-publishing or working in RPG content or storytelling content related to gaming, either tabletop, video games, whatever, uh, it's, it's, a good, it's a good space? It's, it's viable for somebody to go in and make a living off? I would probably not ever suggest to someone that they quit their day job and do this full time. <laughs> um, it is very difficult. I, I think the amount of full time tabletop RPG designers is less than there are astronauts. Um, it is not something that happens very often. The amount of openings is always, uh, in, in my understanding is that they're always, uh, the openings are, are, are very rare. They do happen. Um, in fact, there was a posting not so long ago about, uh, I think it was Atlas games is looking for a new RPG developer. So it does happen from time to time, but it is definitely not something that you, you should count on. Um, and I would never recommend to someone that they just quit their day job, and go do it all the time, but it is possible. Um, freelancing is a thing that you can do. Uh, let people do it as a side, a side job, as a, a side hustle, I think it was called these days. <laughs> and, uh, there's nothing wrong with that at all. If you can, if you can make that work for you, you know, that's, that's great. I've, I've done a lot of freelancing in my past and, uh, I could go back to it if I needed to, uh, without a problem. And, uh, yeah, it's just, this is, um, Self-publishing, I would I would look at it as a way to to, to uh, supplement your income. I would not look at it as a way to be your primary source. Mm-hmm. And it's still ultimately a passion project in the end. I, it absolutely, like it's not not a get rich quick, right? Not, uh, not yeah, yeah. Those days are are long gone, my friend. Um, yeah, if you if you're gonna do it, I would definitely look at it as like this is a hobby that may also make me a little bit of money. And and I think it's also probably one of the easiest times to try that as a hobby now with drive through RPG DMs guild and all the digital content. Yeah. There's, there has never been an easier time to just, you know, make something and put it up on the web for people to have. That is absolutely true. Um, it is slightly more difficult to build a large audience and get a lot of sales. (laughs) That's the, uh, that's the key point. It's like, can you do it? Can you self-publish? Yes. Easy. Not a problem. Will you see a big return from it? That's the hard question. Um, Generally, it's it's it, that's going to be a really difficult um, bar to to jump. Yes, yes, but you know, for those of you out there who still want to try it, uh, I think Ross kind of hits it on the head. Understand that you're never going to be rich off of it, but if the process in and of itself is worth it, then no better time than now to try. Yeah, well, I will 
I will definitely say that I think uh, most full-time RPG guys would also agree with me that this is a job we do more for love than we do for money. <laughs> so I know all the stuff you're creating, but what are you playing right now? What do you enjoy playing regardless of uh, system, medium? What do you like to do? Well, I, uh, I like to play uh, a lot of immersive games like Fallout, uh, for example. I like to... Uh, uh, I'm, I'm actually catching up on a lot of those uh, cool superhero shows from the DC, like uh, Flash, Supergirl, and Arrow. Um, I guess primarily uh, I've been uh, you know reading some David Weber recently and playing a lot of Dungeons & Dragons. I try to play as much D&D as I can because i I got to admit I'm a little obsessed with 5th edition. I, I think it's just amazing and uh, been having a lot of fun. I have a, a local guy who runs a uh, Dragonlance game for us, and I hadn't thought about Dragonlance in 20 years. But we have done uh, four sessions so far, and I just cannot wait. Literally cannot wait for the fifth one. I'm like, please, please, more Dragonlance. Um, so, yeah, we've been we've been having a lot of fun with that. And, of course, living in Colorado gives me the chance to get outside and, and go see a lot of really cool things in nature. We have uh, Mount Evans and uh, Estes Park and Crested Butte. And, I mean, just tons of stuff to go look at and see. Um, I am looking forward to uh, getting out of the house. I've been in the house quite a bit lately uh, dealing with, uh, you know, work stuff. So it would be fun to schedule a weekend and, and go just get out and go do things. Yeah, I'm also really super uh, jazzed that this kind of entire conversation has almost come completely full circle with you talking about beginning with your father getting into uh, Dungeons and & Dragons, and then here you are all these years later, indeterminate, undisclosed amount of years later, uh, still back into it and, and still in love with it. I think that there's like a, a beautiful, if, world, if, the, if, if the life could have a story arc, there's already a beautiful arc to that. Yeah, well... <laughs> Uh, thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, it is, it is, I, I've, I look at my life as something I've been incredibly blessed and incredibly fortunate along the way. Um, I owe a lot of people who decided to give me a chance. Uh, and you know, I'm very pleased to say that I, I feel like I've, uh, uh, done a lot in my life, but, um, it's definitely, uh, a blessing to, to share with other people, you know, my passion for gaming and be able to do that for a living is, is just amazing. So I'm very grateful. And if there's anything else you'd like to promote, I know we talked about uh, the 40K RPG uh, system, but if there's anything else you want to promote or talk about, maybe appearances or just how to follow you on the internet, this is your chance. Uh, yeah, I am uh, at the Ross Watson on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook as well. And I have my own website, therosswatson.com, where I will occasionally post things, although it's been pretty quiet lately. And uh, if you want to check out what me and my friends are doing, uh, Evil Beagle Games is where we do a lot of uh, you know little things like uh, you know extra D&D projects. Or uh, we're coming up on a release of a big superhero game called Prowlers and Paragons, which is going to be a big deal. And I encourage people to check that out if they're, if they're at all fans of superhero role play uh prowlers and paragons is a fantastic system and it's going to allow people to uh really jump right into that whole comic book experience right off the bat and i second that uh i love the guys over there we also had a previous uh guest michael who's on there from evil people as well they're great people and if you want to find me my twitter handle is at classy underscore don that's d-o-n this is the my rpg podcast which you can find at podbean itunes or wherever you can subscribe to podcasts wherever you do please do subscribe and leave us a review if you like it or if you don't like it uh, any questions or concerns can be also sent to my rpg podcast at gmail.com thank you for listening and i'll see you at the table remember supporting the show helps it grow